0: We oftentimes come together on occasions like this and rightly remark, it's good to be here. And it is especially good to be here. We've gone a full week without seeing one another, at least many of us, because of our Wednesday night service or Tuesday study being not uh, had this past week. And so it's especially good to be together today. There's wisdom in that our elders have suggested that we come together throughout the week on Wednesdays to ponder the spiritual things and to be engaged in spiritual things that we are engaged in. And so it's good to be together today. Thank you for showing up, for being here, making the treacherous path to the building as it sometimes is. We're so very thankful for those who've cleared the parking lots and those who've worked behind the scenes in very quiet ways to make sure that we can be here safely. And we have remarked already this morning that we are thankful to God that we have a place that is so comfortable and so safe for us to be together. Invite you to take a Bible to study along with us today. We're gonna be in the Old Testament for much of our study this morning in the book of Deuteronomy, and I invite you to open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we're going to look at the first 15 verses in our study together today. Parts of Deuteronomy 6 are very familiar, for example, verses 4 and 5 and 6, and we'll talk about those three verses, but I want us to broaden our understanding of these doorpost messages of faith that are talked about here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Let's go ahead and read that text, and then I want us to talk about our faith by making three very simple, yet I would argue profound, not because I came up with them, but because they are biblically uh, in nature, profound uh, observations about our faith. Here it says that this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." And so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. This is, to me, a classic text about faith. We understand what faith is. It's the uh, evidence of things that are hoped for, those things that are not seen, but yet we still believe in, as Hebrews teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11. It is elementary to who we are as Christians because without faith, it is impossible to please our God and our Father. It is essential. For salvation. In fact, all of us, when we were baptized, whether that be uh, a week or two ago, or whether that be many decades ago, were asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And we had to make that confession of faith. Yes, that's what I believe. I do believe those things to be true. And so faith is at the very center of this text. And I want to talk about three aspects of faith. Number one, I want us to appreciate that faith needs to be our priority in who we are. Matthew chapter 6 is a familiar text where Jesus says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will be added unto us. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. But it seems to me that one of the mistakes that we make, and when I say we, it could be us as Christians. It could be those denominational friends in the world. It could be people of the world who have some sort of elementary aspect of faith in their life. Is that faith becomes a part of who they are, but not the defining thing of who they are. When we think about that, we need to understand that faith is who we are what we are and what we are always about it is the very central aspect the core of who we are as individuals we are not plumbers or teachers or mechanics who happen to be christians we are christians who happen to be plumbers and teachers and mechanics and it must come in that order (laughs) in that our faith in Jesus Christ is the defining aspect of who we are and what we are about. There is only one God, and we understand that as outlined in the text, and he has to be number one. And if God is not number one, then God is not number two. He's number 5,322. He's at the very end of the list. As I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, Satan isn't concerned with getting all of our attention. He is concerned with getting some of our attention. And God wants all of our attention. There in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That needs to be memorized not just for the sake of checking the box and say I've memorized a passage, but here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is absolutely essential to who we are as individuals who only serve our God, because faith is our priority. God is to be loved with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. I had it as our scripture reading, Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus reflects on that. And he talks about it as being the great commandment. I was talking with one of our brothers today, and in fact, there are a number of teenagers who are present here today, that if I were to say Mark 12.30 and point to the clock, you would know exactly what we're talking about. And David Creech has done a nice job of instilling the fact that 12.30... On the clock, Mark 12, 30, is where we find that same text in, in, in Scripture. And I thought that was kind of a catchy way of remembering Mark 12, 30 is the same thing as Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, where the two commandments are you love God and you love others as yourself. On these two things, you can hang all the law and all the prophets. Our focus needs to be on God But our focus on God needs to be within reach of ourselves. And that is something that was true thousands of years ago. It is something that is true today. And these days, having God within reach is very easy to do with technology. There in verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And so there's a little illustration here of what ancient Jews and some modern Uh, very conservative Jews still do where they will literally tape up their hand with these fabrics or with various uh, sorts of material and have passages on there so that as you look at your hand you are reminded I must serve God he's number one there's something very right about that I'm not suggesting that we have to bind them on our hands but there is something very right about Every aspect of who I am and what I am and what I am about is that God is number one in my life. And when you look at your hand tomorrow, whether you're looking at your manicure, you're wishing you could drive out to get one, those of you that choose to do that, maybe you're checking to wash your hands after a a dirty job. You look at your hands, you say, This is God who I serve. I serve him. He is number one. He is the only God that I serve. It needs to be within reach. Furthermore, a focus on God needs to be at the very center of our minds as, verse 8, frontlets between your eyes. And again, if you can see the picture here, Ancient Jews and some modern conservative Jews will literally take a box and they'll have scripture inside of it. Old Testament scripture, of course, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and they will bind it between their eyes. Now I think about something that could either be very memorable or very distracting, one of the two. But to have that between your eyes so that you are always seeing scripture. I've been to people's houses before where when you go into their bathroom, On their mirror, they'll have post-it notes of different scriptures that they're trying to memorize or that they're trying to get into their head and trying to read three or four or five or six times a day. If you want me to memorize scripture, put it on the refrigerator because I go to that door a lot and I can read those scriptures there and see what those passages are. There may be some value to putting these messages in places where you literally can see them in your homes, as frontlets between your eyes, as written in verse 8, part 2. Let me suggest finally on this first observation that the most important thing to teach or to be taught or to be reminded of is the fear of God. There in verse 2 of chapter 6, That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you. And he says, you'll teach those things to your son and teach them to your grandchildren. I've said this before in in various places throughout the country, and I've said it here at least a couple of times. I'm, I'm a fan of formal education. I believe that having a trade or having a degree or having training is important. And I believe that school is good. I believe that you need to go to school. You need to do your lessons. You need to uh, fill out your papers. You need to do your projects. You need to do all the things that you need to do in order to be educated in reading and writing and arithmetic and all the other great things that come along with education. But there is nothing more important for your children to know than that God is number one and he must always be number one. That's true today as it was true thousands of years ago in the days of Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the leaders of ancient Israel. The most important thing that we as parents or grandparents can teach is that God is number one, that faith is the priority of who we are as men and women. Secondly, let me suggest that faith requires our preparation. I've said before, and I'll say it yet again, that getting into heaven is not something that you do accidentally. Rather, faith requires effort. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, and he said that you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you like underlining things in your Bible, you might underline the word work. Because salvation is work. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to work our way into heaven because otherwise we'll be accused of teaching something that is false. But the fact is, is it takes effort in order to please God. No one will be in heaven and say, well, this was just easy to get here. We'll all have to put forth the diligence in our faith and our work together to do what the Lord has asked us to do. Let me suggest also that when we're talking about faith, requiring our preparation, that faith shouldn't be private. Notice what is said in verse 9. You shall write them, write what? These commandments that the Lord, the Lord God is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Write these things and put them as doorposts on your house and on your door. Gates. This, if you're familiar with Jewish culture, is the Jewish mezuzah. And I put up here a picture of a door, and you can see to the far right of the door the mezuzah. And it is written, of course, in Hebrew, but inside of it would be a scroll, and you could then read this scroll, and it's a reminder of the fact that the Lord God is one. He is all by himself. There is no other God beside him. We will love him with all of our heart. We will love him with all of our soul. We will love him with all of our strength. Now, the fact is, is when you do that, you are advertising to the world that I am a follower of Jehovah God. And I've known of individuals who are very well-intentioned, generally speaking, not members of the Lord's church, but members of denominations. That say, well, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. And I believe in Jesus. I believe this book is inspired. But my faith is private. And I don't talk about it to people. Now I'm not suggesting that you have to go onto a street corner with a bullhorn and carry a cross behind you, as I saw someone doing in a busy urban center years ago, and then say, look at me, I'm a Christian. But you cannot be a faithful child of God while also keeping your faith private. It is impossible to do. How in the world are we to fulfill the Great Commission which says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, Matthew chapter 28 or Mark chapter 16? The danger that we face is that faith becomes something we just do. We just go to church. We just take the Lord's Supper. We sing the songs. We listen to the sermon. We write a check or take some dollar bills and put them in the basket. These are just things that we do to check off the list. And the danger of that is that religion becomes rote. In fact, Jesus speaks about that again in the great sermon on the mountaintop when he says you've got to be cautious about making sure that your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, as we talked about last Sunday evening. Faith requires our preparation. Faith doesn't come automatically. You don't go to bed one night, and then you wake up the next morning, and you think, huh, I have faith in God, more so than never before. But rather, it is a process, And everyone who is here this morning can tell us that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, Romans chapter 10. And so we have to actually get ourselves in the book and read it and understand it. It's like the the teenager who went home one day with uh, his biology book and put it underneath his pillow and laid on it. And mom asked, what in the world is that all about? He says, well, it's osmosis. (laughs) The knowledge is coming into my brain through the night as I sleep over the course of seven or eight or nine hours. That's not the way that it works. I wish that that's how we could learn. I wish that we could just infuse ourselves in some magical or mystical way. But instead, it's more challenging than that. We must study to show ourselves approved. Let me suggest that coffee, table, Bible, Christianity doesn't work. I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to have a coffee table Bible. Having a Bible in any place is a great place. But you've been to people's homes, particularly those of your friends in the world, that they have very limited biblical knowledge, but yet they have the most beautiful Bible on their coffee table. And you go to pick it up and they say, don't, don't touch it. You might mess it up. Sometimes it's been said that the people whose lives are messed up Are the ones whose Bibles are not. And that those who have Bibles falling apart because they use them so much belong to individuals whose lives are not falling apart. And there's something to be said for that as well. Verse 3 Therefore, hear, O Israel, and then notice the next two words it says, Be careful to observe it. Be careful. We have to exercise caution with God's word. Be careful to observe. The promise of God was dependent on Israel's watchful obedience. Which is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're familiar with verse 13, which talks about the temptation that would not overtake a man. But in verse 12 of the text, it says, take heed, be careful, be watchful. Paul says to the church at Ephesus that you walk circumspectly, that you walk in a careful way. The promise of God is dependent on our obedience, which is watchful in its very nature. And let me suggest furthermore, before we move on, that the necessity of action On our part in doing what God has asked us to do does not dilute the power of Christ's blood. The reason I point that out is because of the same reason that I hinted at it a few moments ago. That there are those in the world and those in religious communities who suggest that there's nothing that is necessary in order for us to be faithful to God. It's all about that grace that we talked about in our Bible class this morning yes it is the grace of God that's going to save us and no one's going to get to heaven and say well I sure deserve this but rather by God's grace we are there but faith without works James says is useless or is dead let me suggest furthermore before we move on to our third and our final observation that faith is a process that requires our diligent effort you know, you admire uh, a, a Christian who's been in service for 30, 40, 50 years maybe, and we have a number of Christians who are part of the Northfield Boulevard family who have been Christians for 30, 40, 50 years, longer than many of you have been alive. You say, well, I wonder how they got to be that faithful, that strong, that, that, that much of a student of the Bible to be able to memorize that much. It's because they studied to show themselves approved. And that brings us back to the subject of parents and children. That parents, verse 7, have the distinct responsibility and the unique responsibility for teaching their children. And I know that I'm speaking to a group of individuals that largely knows this. In the time that Wendy and I have been here, we have been so impressed by the knowledge base of our youngest individuals who are here and that's a tribute to the smartness of the young kids that's a tribute to our bible class curriculum and our bible class teachers but first and foremost it's a tribute to the parents who work hard to make sure that their lessons are done that they're reviewed that you When you lie down, when you get up, when you go by the wayside, that when you go to the left, you go to the right, that no matter where you are, what you're doing, you find biblical things and spiritual applications to make. And you as a church are to be commended for that. And to those of you that are parents of children, whether it be ages one, two, three, all the way up to the teenage years, thank you for your diligence in teaching those things and making those things a priority. Diligently is the word that is used. It comes from a Hebrew word that means to sharpen. We are sharpening our knowledge the more diligent we are in our service to God. That makes perfect sense because when it comes to a public school or private school or Bible class, don't you want your child to be the sharpest in class, to be the most diligent in class? And let me suggest finally that parents must prepare ourselves to use everyday opportunities to teach. And again, I'm I'm talking to a group of people that really appreciate that. You find the weather and you say, this somehow relates to God. You find the geography and you say, this relates to God. You find some instance in the news that everybody is talking about and that your children ask about. And you relate it back to God. Because after all, faith is our priority. Faith requires our preparation. And thirdly, faith needs to be personal. Moses doesn't simplify faith as something to point out or to put up. It's not just something that you tack it to your doorpost or put it between your eyes or put it on your hands and then you're done. But rather it needs to be personal. These words, he says, which I command you, shall be in your heart. We want, whether you are young or whether you are a little bit older, we want to be men and women who put these words in your heart. Turn over just a couple of pages to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and I love the rendering of verse 18, where it says in chapter 11, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. I love the phrase, lay these words in your heart. There are things that we can put into our heart, into our mind that are just rotten and that are degrading and that are depressing. But there are good things that we can put into our heart. And that's what Moses, by way of the Holy Spirit, is asking us to do. Lay good things in your heart. Make that the priority of who we are and make it personal. Faith has to be internalized and faith has to be personalized. Both those things are important. For those of you that appreciate your parents, well, that's great. You should appreciate your parents. There's commandments in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that teach that we are to honor, appreciate, love our parents. That being said, you can depend on your parents for a lot of things in this life. But when it comes to the day of judgment, you cannot call in your parents' faith. You can't call in granddad's faith and say, look, My granddad was a a wonderful Christian. Therefore, I should be able to go to heaven. Now, I never made any changes in my life. I never became a Christian. Look, my parents were faithful for so many years at Northfield Boulevard or some other location. That's not the way that it works. Faith has to be personal to who you are. No one else's lack of faith will keep you from doing what is right. Or let me rephrase that, should keep you from doing what's right. That's very frightening to think about, at least for me. I will answer for myself. You know, we are a team. We're a group of believers who are united in faith and we say we are one, we are united, and we are faithful to God together. But when we line up for judgment, there will not be, at least as far as I can tell based on scriptures, there will not be, all right, everybody from Northfield Boulevard, you come up next. That's not the way that the Savior is going to judge us. Instead, he'll say, you first, then you, then you, then you, and the other umpteen billions or trillions of people, depending on however many people have lived. That's the way it will work. And you individually will answer for your choices as much as I. And I won't be able to call on you. I won't be able to call on the elders and say, can you help me out here? You won't be able to call on the preacher. You won't be able to call on your wife or your mom or your dad or your husband. Because faith is personal. And some would say, well, that's that's, kind of scary to think about. You're right, that is scary. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31. But this all matters so very much. Let me close with this that as with all of God's commands, there was reasoning behind his instructions. God is not saying, memorize these things and put them on your hands or between your eyes or on your doorposts in the mezuzahs. He says, don't do that just for the sake of checking a box and saying you've done those things. But he outlines for us three things in those final verses that we read that I want us to reread very quickly here. Number one in verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, beware lest you forget the Lord. The fact is, is number one, we tend to forget all that God has done for us. We are a forgetful people. And that's not just true for those of you that are a little bit older. You go into one room and then you say, why did I come into this room? <laughs> that happens to all of us. And when it comes to faith, the one thing that we ought never forget is the thing that we sometimes forget. Faith has to be personal and memorized and as a part of our memory central to who we are so we tend to forget all the good that god has done for us and so we have to continue to put these doorpost messages of faith in our heart on our doors on our hands between our eyes everywhere we look we see the faith of god secondly we need to remember that god should be feared I'm still uh, very much appreciative of Brother David's sermon about a year ago, I still remember it, where he talked about the fear of God, and he talked about the idea of fearing him and respecting him, but there being a healthy fear in the idea of falling into the hands of a living God who has the power, according to Jesus, not to just destroy body, but to destroy both body and soul in hell. Verse 13, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oath in his name. And then thirdly, we must consciously avoid idolatry. You may say, wait a minute, what does that idolatry have to do with anything we've talked about? It's the first time you've mentioned idolatry except for reading verses 14 and 15. These people, because they forgot God and did not remember the fear of God, gave themselves over to idols repeatedly. We see that in the Old Testament. Throughout the history of these people, them giving themselves over to foreign gods, little g, gods, and consequently, angering God himself. Let me ask you this in closing, three questions. And that is, is faith my priority? Am I diligent in preparing my faith? And is faith really personal, really mine? If you can say no to any of those three, then you need to take some sort of action today. It may mean making faith your priority and not just your parents' priority. It may mean making preparation by being baptized to have your sins washed away. Or it may mean making some sort of a change in your life as a Christian who is now in sin, needing to make correction. We would welcome the opportunity to baptize you or to strengthen you in your faith this morning. If we can help you in any way to make faith the priority in your life this morning, we welcome the opportunity while we stand and while we sing.